I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Alex is back on boats, okay? She's brought back Inga. She was on the pub with us a few weeks ago. She's pretty awesome, actually. She's a project manager at the Australian National Maritime Museum and the author of a book about Harold Lowe, Titanic's fifth officer. To be fair, it's about the most famous boat in history. Boat, guys, boat. So what is there more to say? Can we just say that who played Harold Lowe, Ingo, in the film? Yoan Griffith. How excited are you? (laughs) Yeah, just slightly, just slightly. Jealous? Oh, much, much. (laughs) Right. Well, we're here to sink, get it, just about every conspiracy theory going. But for every one you get with RMS Titanic, another one pops up. So essentially, for the next half an hour or so, Inga and I will be playing Titanic (laughs) Whack-A-Mole. Save me. (laughs) Summary of what it it is. You think you've killed one stone dead and, you know, like nine spring up in its place. And we're not even you know going to get into the reincarnation people either. <laughs> what? what? Maybe what, if what there's time at the end, well, to, if you manage to stay awake for the whole of the conspiracy bit, we will tell you a couple of anonymized, crazy um, reincarnation <laughs> Titanic stories. I need to know more. About, okay, right, I'm going to stay awake for this now because I right, need to focus. know what this is all about. I'm focused. Right. Okay, let's start with the first conspiracy are you ready oh this is going to be shit go on which one do you want to ask first thanks 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 a lot what happened to that necklace oh right do you know what (laughs) (laughs) did you just see the britney spears video (laughs) right alina let's do a quick fire shutdown on film crap all right there was no jack there was no rose there was no necklace if you'd have tried to stand at the bow you'd have been blown off the fucking ship the speed she was going the ford in the hold was shipped in pieces and therefore there is no car sex for anyone there's no running through the boiler room without getting walloped by a shovel belonging to an angry fireman and certainly no climbing up to first class to see your bird without getting your ass whooped by someone who spent several thousand quid on a ticket and doesn't want to hang around with oiks right you just broke my heart I want to just stand at the front of that ship and just... You can, but you'll end up in the water. What? You can, but you'll end up in the water with the fake dolphins. So James Cameron just made the whole lot up. It's a lie. Look, right. No. The ship 
the furnishings, he was the first person that instead of buying a rusty old piece of crap tugboat and trying to make it look like the Titanic, he built the damn Titanic, fractionally smaller, but to scale. Uh, he was obsessive. Pretty much everything is spot on to the original that he could get. Uh, everyone else is painstakingly, he chose lookalikes to play them. Um, and lots of more historically accurate stuff, such as the shots of the Californian was cut. But what he did do, and he said he did it, he um, invented Jack and Rose so that with his main characters, he could put them anywhere at any time without people whinging, which I get. We just have a problem with them lying on a car that doesn't exist and banging. But yeah, anyway. We actually, he actually said, he actually said later that his passion is deep sea. One of his great passions is deep sea exploration. So he convinced Hollywood to let him make a movie so he could die to the wreck. Genius. <laughs> doing it genius. And yeah, not yeah. only diving to the wreck, but diving to the wreck with more expensive cameras than anyone had yeah. ever done before. <laughs> so we have some great wreck footage. I mean, because the wreck is changing all the time. We mm. have some incredible wreck footage because of James Cameron and because he brought that Hollywood attention and that um, mm. money, that budget. A cine- yeah. A cinematographer's eye too. He knew yeah. the shots he had to get and he knew how to get them and he did, you know, developed well it's the same he's um, you know since then he's done some very deep sea dives to the bottom of the ocean on the deep sea challenger. Yeah. And uh, if the technology doesn't exist, he's got the wherewithal to invent it. Yeah, I think it's, um, for that reason alone, while we may giggle about some of the stuff in the film, you, you can't knock his enthusiasm for Titanic and how interested he actually mm. got in it. And he drew a very nice picture of Kate Winslet's tits as well. Because that's you know him what? drawing the picture, Alina. It was well. very cold in that cabin, you can tell. It was very yeah. cold. Do you know, I actually thought the footage was fake. So now you've actually told me that the footage is real. That's actually pretty awesome. See, you're learning stuff. There's, right, a... there's serious questions. Come on. Okay, yeah, let's bring on to the serious questions. Let's talk about the real, real boat. Ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, let's get to the real ship. <laughs> Inga. I put it to you that the Titanic was sunk to prevent the establishment of a Federal Reserve. I have no idea what I just said. Oh, I, I love this one. I love this one. This is one of my favourites. This Back in the 90s, an author called uh, Robin Gardner wrote a book. Oh, um, sigh. Sigh. The Robin Gardner This is how book. it all starts. <laughs> and at the time, it was pretty modest. He, he made a few suggestions that isn't, you know, what if the Titanic and the Olympic were switched because the Olympic, which is Titanic's um, big sister, so to speak, the first in the sequence of Olympic-class ships, had been involved in a collision with the Hawk in 1911 and had suffered some damage. Um, and so there's this, the original theory was, because people would ask, well, why on earth would they switch two Olympic-class ships and then sink one in the middle of the North Atlantic? Well, the idea was that the Olympic had sustained more damage um, then was officially reported and that it was an insurance scam essentially um, because Olympic was badly damaged. So if you pulled it out there, sunk it, um, you could make a killing on the insurance. Now, this was easily debunked. In um, in fact, um, in the original book, Gardner himself points out that one of the uh, propeller blades that's visible there on the seafloor today is stamped with 401, which is the Titanic's unique um, uh, the kill number, yeah, yeah. The, every every piece of fitting out, every ship that was being worked down in Harland and Wolf had a unique number. 
Olympic was 400, Titanic was 401. Yeah, and until um, you're launched, you're not known by the name, aren't you? So she would have just been killed 401 yeah. until she went in the water. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, he himself shot it down at the end of his book. He said, well, it's down there, but you, you never know. Maybe they swapped a prop blade because, you know, uh, there had been... Um, they had had to move them. Uh, there had been some changes made in the um, uh, when they um, when they had to delay uh, Titanic's launch. Um, anyway, so it was a fairly modest theory at the time, and it was sort of um, not really taken all that seriously. One gets the impression, even by the author. But the problem. Do you think? I think with that, it was you know when you go to your publisher and you say, "I want to write a, write a book about the Titanic," and your publisher you need a goes, "There's 300 books about the Titanic already. We don't need another one." And you go, "Ah, but what if I say something different?" And then you kind of hint that you have these new ideas, and then the publisher goes crazy. That's it. That's it exactly. I've spoken to uh, authors that have put forward fairly controversial theories, and they'll tell you very bluntly that, well, you know, there are shelves full of books on the Titanic my publisher demands a hook. Um, and so this was thrown in. Basically, I mean, Gardner's book is pretty much just a retelling of the Titanic story with a little bit of consp potential conspiracy theory thrown in. But, of course, the conspiracy theory is what everyone ran with. And there weren't that many books being published in the 90s because this is pre-Cameron's movie. It took off. And so then his writing partner <laughs> decided he was out of there. He even moved. He didn't want to publish further books on the subject. But uh, Gardner ran with it. There's one basic flaw, though, with the idea that it was sunk as part of an insurance scam, and that is that Titanic was massively underinsured. So how do we get around this? Now, this is where we more recently, and this ties into all sorts of international, even anti-Semitic conspiracies that we're seeing emerge around, you know, the idea of globalism and so on. Uh, because the International Mercantile Marine was ultimately only controlled by J.P. Morgan, uh, yes, the banker, um, there is nothing that people will not assume J.P. Morgan would do. Uh, and, I mean, admittedly, we're in an age of very shady business practices. Um, Morgan was backing the establishment of the Reserve Bank in America. And so now the new the theory has mutated as these theories do to take account every time, like I say, it is it really is whack a mole. When you hit down one component, they just it just morphs. And so it has morphed from being an insurance scam to apparently it was sunk to kill three people on board who were opposed to the establishment of the Reserve Bank in the US. These people were very prominent first-class passengers. Benjamin Guggenheim of the Guggenheim family, Ida Strauss, and JJ Astor. Um, now, we immediately start hitting obstacles with the old, the idea. I mean, it's a very clumsy way of getting three people out of the way to, to Surely sink you a just ship. pay someone to shoot them. Yeah, look, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure in the way that the theory is proposed whether the iceberg is just a random innocent bystander because I don't know how you arrange for an iceberg to be there in the middle of Maybe the Maybe it was being driven by the penguins. <laughs> and you convince, you know, like you managed to convince the crew yet, like the captain, um, most senior officers, the, the, the chief and first officer, hey, guys, you, you're going down with the ship, but, hey, you're going down in a good cause. Like, I, I, I yeah, you're, everyone will remember your name for decades. But we get to some more problems when we look at the three people that have been identified as the targets of this particular conspiracy theory. Um, 
Of the three, we only know the position of on the Reserve Bank of one of them. Uh, we don't know what Astor thought of it. Astor was not making public statements about it. We don't know what Guggenheim thought of it. We do know what Strauss thought of it. Strauss was in favour of it. So, oh, no. Do you hear that? Yeah, do you hear that, that people? That wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's a conspiracy. It's <laughs> a bed. Right, next one. Yeah. Next one. Right, Alex, this one's for you. I think we've... Are you ready? Oh, yeah, go on, go on. Might as well, come on. Do the it. Titanic Hit me. clearly did not have enough lifeboats. Come on. I'm assuming this is because um, this is saying that she didn't have lifeboats for everybody. What she did have was more than the legal minimum that she was required. She was required, I think, to have 1,060 um, lifeboat spaces and she had spaces for 1,178 people, which is not obviously the 2,200 people that were on it, but the idea that they just didn't put enough lifeboats on and they sailed illegally into the blue, um, not caring if people died. They, and, and what they had done as well, that not only did they have that capacity, but they had thought ahead, um, and it was possible to put another line of boats on the deck for 16 of these boats they were double davits so actually they had thought above and beyond what was required of them obviously we know that after titanic they changed the law so that there has to be a space for every damn person on the boat but white star white star line broke no laws did they Ing? no no they didn't they were only required by the board of trade regulations to have 16 uh 16 boats i mean the the Regulations were decades out of um, were decades out of step with the progress of shipbuilding. You look at the first decade of the twentieth century, and shipbuilding was. I mean, you had the the race with the dreadnoughts in naval architecture, and in terms of liners, the liners were just leapfrogging each other in terms of size. And rather than tying the lifeboat capacity to the passenger capacity, it was simply tied to tonnage. And so it was every every vessel over, uh, I think the tonnage was 10,000 was required to have 16 lifeboats. Um, there's all sorts of um, interesting theories and arguments around whether or not Titanic may originally have been intended to carry more lifeboats. Alexander Carlyle, who was actually the designer, we tend to think of it as Thomas Andrews, it was more Alexander Carlyle who retired in 1910. And he had put a proposal at one point during discussions during, he was in charge of the fitting out and he had put forward a proposal to have more lifeboats. And you seen in the movie where Thomas Andrews says it was thought by some that the deck was too cluttered. There's no record of a conversation like that. There's no record of White Star Line at any point saying, no, it would be unattractive to the passengers. It just seems to have died in committee. Um, the proposal mm. was put there. Carlisle didn't push it. He retired in 1910. And he had, no they had way. more than met the minimum, hadn't they? They had more than met the minimum. Yeah. They had four lifeboats more than they were, were required to have. And, in fact, you look at the original plans for the Olympic class and what lifeboat capacity they had worked out, they had more passengers and crew it was originally planned for. They reduced those numbers and actually increased the lifeboat capacity. So if you look at plan A and, you know, plan the original plans and how the final ship was realised, um, uh, they had more than they had originally planned for, more lifeboat capacity than originally planned for. Unfortunately, of course, it was totally inadequate. But the other thing to consider is that 
um, they did not successfully launch all the lifeboats that they had. Um, unfortunately, once that ship started to sink, people were going to wind up in the water and die. Um, even if they had had all the lifeboats, even if they had lifeboat spaces for everyone on board, they would not have had the crew to successfully launch them and they would not have had the time. The last two collapsible lifeboats actually floated free of the ship. Just looking at Lusitania, so Titanic happened, then they changed the law. You have to have a lifeboat space for everybody. How many people made it near a lifeboat on Lusitania? Pretty much none because she went down in 18 minutes and it didn't matter how many bloody lifeboats you had because she rolled over in the water, she was still moving and it was carnage. So actually the, to put all of your stock in the idea that the White Star Line were negligent mm -hmm. in not having enough lifeboat spaces and that. One, no laws. Um, obviously we learned horrible lessons from Titanic and put more on, but just putting those spaces there doesn't mean that you're going to save everybody in the event of a shipwreck either. And when you were saying that um, we're looking at... Uh, legislation that's years out of date so if you just go back 10 years or 13 years sorry to the oceanic 2 which is your favorite ship of all time um she still had a capacity for about 1700 passengers and 350 crew and the titanic's lifeboat wouldn't have had enough for her titanic so just as an example she's about um 700 foot long titanic's almost a thousand foot long with nearly 900 crew and is not full so far as passengers are concerned um there's about 2200 is that right on board titanic yeah and you had a capacity yeah. in total of about three, yeah three and a half thousand yeah. so it was under this is another idea that the uh, you hear people all the time saying that their grandparents narrowly missed a voyage on the Titanic, but it was sold out. Oh, there would have been out. eight thousand people on the boat if all those people that missed it that claim to have missed it as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have sunk, like they say, it would have sunk at Southampton docks if everyone who claimed to have had a ticket on Titanic actually did. Yeah, ladies, I think we should change the topic because I quite like the next one. I really uh, like the next one. Let's annoy. I'm going to annoy Inga with this one. Are you ready? Are you she's ready kind of this? touched on it already, but hit her again, and she'll she'll no, out. No, is bollocks. Doesn't matter. This is. <laughs> this, I just want to antagonise her. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so the Titanic didn't even sink, and it was a sister ship, the Olympic. And let's go. Oh, yeah, yeah. This one's brilliant. This is brilliant. This goes back to the Titanic Olympic switch theory. Now, I can tell you now, I have stood in exhibitions while an installation of Olympic class fittings is going on, you know, wood panelling and so on. I've actually looked on the back of the panels and I have seen 400, which is the Olympics yard number, as we discussed earlier. I have with my own eyes seeing that these fittings were made for the Olympic. The Olympic didn't sink. Titanic sank. We have pulled out, I mean, the chap we discussed earlier, Gardner, um, put forward the idea that there weren't that many objects that were being taken from the, that were being retrieved from the wreck site that had the word Titanic on them. Not so many that had the word Titanic on them because a lot of, you know, the, the, um, the, Horse and the cutlery, etc., etc., was uh, interchangeable between white. Well, star it's standard versus... white star line. In five years' time, you take the the cast off Titanic stuff and put it on the Oceanic, which is fifteen years old by this yeah. time. Yes. 
it's makes not sense. it's not vessel specific yeah however the fitting out the fitting out of the ship is and so there are a lot of objects that have been removed from the, that have been taken up from the wreck that do have 401 stamped on them now the problem with this particular theory is you get this gish gallop of claims um, and it's really hard to go through and refute them one at a time like because they're a mixture of coincidence facts taken out of cons uh, out of context and also outright um, untruths, fake news. Uh, there is, for example, an image circulating that purports to be um, a shot of the ship's name on the bow, and it has L-Y, um, suggesting that it's the Olympic there and that somehow they covered up the name and that had rotted off and the original name was below it. That's a photoshopped image, and I still see people citing it as proof that... Um, that it's the Olympic down there. We have images of the Titanic's. It was etched on the bow. And so we have images of the Titanic's name there, but you still see lies about it. Now, they also there's also a tendency to downplay the differences between the two vessels and suggest that they're virtually interchangeable and you just needed to you know, put the promenade screen. Yeah, this is on. the thing, isn't it? If you look at the top deck and go down to the next deck, the difference is that the front side, the, if you look at the front of the promenade deck in Titanic, it's partly enclosed. On an Olympic, it wasn't. So the argument was that they just enclosed it and then it sailed and pretended to be yes, Titanic. They just changed it and that was easy. <laughs> the differences are a lot more substantial. They go down to things like the bulkhead arrangements, even, even uh, some of the porthole arrangements are different on the two vessels. They're not interchangeable by any means. And frankly, I don't know how anyone envisions that you could keep a few, you know, a few thousand, a couple of thousand, hundreds of Irish workers. This is the thing. Quiet in Harland and Wolf. I just we love, know. we love the Irish. Inga, your family is we Irish. Do, we we love them. the Irish. But we my do. God, the Irish do not shut up. If someone did a ship, <laughs> ship swap, of 2,000 foot vessels and said, nobody say anything, but we're going to send the wrong one across the Atlantic. If there's one country on earth that could not keep this a secret, it's Ireland. <laughs> no, it's true. This is true. And it's the idea. It's like, okay, what do we do to cover up the fact that one of our, one of our ships has been uh, more badly damaged in the collision than, than we've let on? Well, Rather than do something sensible like, you know, set fire to it in the shipyard, no, let's send it out into the middle of the North Atlantic, hope it hits an iceberg and sink it on its maiden voyage with a loss, a major loss of life. That'll Collateral really be damage, it's no problem. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's, it's just, it's bollocks. It's oh, it is, it is. It's very, it's, it's the same with any conspiracy theory like this. We like to impose an idea of order and control on chaotic events. And you do find bizarre coincidences and, you know, stranger, you look at eyewitness testimony um, in a large-scale historical event and there are going to be discrepancies. There were people, for example, that described seeing um, fellow survivors on a raft. Now, there were no rafts on the Titanic. Quite clearly, I'd suggest what they are talking about is one of the collapsible boats, probably A, which was almost down at the waterline. But you take that little fact, that little eyewitness account of people on a raft, 
And you say, well, there were no rafts on Titanic. So, you know, obviously the White Star Line had supplied extra floating devices because they were anticipating that they were going to be dumping all their, you know, a good portion of their passengers in the water. Or that's it's a do. collapsible lifeboat without the sides up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, there, were, there was someone who said that they thought they saw a yacht pass quite, quite close in the dark. Now, there were icebergs all around. And it's much more likely they saw in the ghostly darkness an iceberg. But if you take that one little um, anomalous account and, you know, you twist it into you, you create an air of doubt too. Like all these mysterious events were happening. So what's the explanation? And sometimes you try to pinpoint someone and say, well, exactly how does that fit in with your overarching theory that it was the Olympic? I don't know, but it indicates that something strange was happening. Um, and and you find this, you find this, you know, the the, um, uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, um, uh, you know, sinking of the business, any, any large-scale historical event with multiples of witnesses is going to have accounts that don't quite fit into the narrative that are outliers because humans are notoriously unreliable. In, in normal situations even, let alone in the traumatic situation mm-hmm. of watching a ship disappear from under you, 1,500 people die and end up floating in the North Atlantic with sort of no hope of help um, in the dark, you really think you're going to be seeing things 100% and that everybody yeah. there's going to, their frame of mind is going to be uh, accurate? No. Yeah, exactly. Ladies, let's switch the topic a little bit. Um, I really don't care which one of you answers this. So, um, <laughs> Just remember, if you want the reincarnation stories, you have to play ball for the rest of this. I am playing ball, but I still don't care who's answering it. I'm going to throw it in the middle, and whoever grabs it first goes first. So, the Titanic was the most luxurious, luxurious, luxu- can't say the word, ship ever built. You go. I love this one. I I love this one. Uh, It's um, remarkable that this one comes up all the time when people talk about Titanic and it does have a lot of fans, people that are very enthusiastic about it. And I think that they tend to see it a little bit out of context. Um, You know, the idea it was the ship of dreams, you know, it was the largest moving object ever built by the hand of man and so on and so forth. And some of that is true for one particular moment in time. But even Titanic's crew were aware of the fact that there were already, uh, the Imperator, for example, was being built in Germany, which was going to exceed the Titanic in length, mainly because they had put a giant eagle on the front of it as a, um, as a figurehead. But they knew that it was, it was, its moment there was, well, it was only going to last as long as um, uh, before the sister ship, the Britannic, had been built. Now, in terms of size, um, Titanic's a bit shy of 1,000 feet, about 882 feet, which is approximately 268 metres. The largest passenger ship today, which is a cruise ship, the Symphony of the Seas, has a length of 361 metres. You compare their gross registered tonnage, uh, you know, Titanic's just over um, 46,000 gross registered tonnage, Symphony of the Seas is 200, nearly 230. 
Um, just in terms of sheer size, um, since the 90s, a lot of the cruise ships have been in excess of 100,000 um, tonnes. Titanic today would not even be a medium-sized ship, um, a medium-sized passenger ship. It, it's, it would be quite modest by contemporary standards. And in terms of the fitting out, uh, we tend to look at public spaces, which are fairly spectacular, you know, the grand staircase and so on. These are standards in a passenger ship today. but um, not everyone had their own ensuite, not even in first class. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it was by contemporary standards quite modest. You know, you had um, some beautiful interiors. It was a little bit, even then, though, a little bit old fashioned, some of the fitting out. You know, we were looking at the tail end of um, the Beaux Arts period. Oh, but, you're going um, into Art Deco, aren't you? It's on the horizon. Its arrival might have been slightly delayed by World War One, but um, yeah, it was already even. Uh, there were critics at the time, people that looked, at, and I'm not just singling out Titanic. Um, uh, a lot of um, interior design critics at the time were looking at how ships were being fitted out, and they thought it was a little bit ridiculous. Um, and it was a bit of a mishmash of styles, you know, Louis Couture's and uh, and uh, other Beaux Arts popular styles. Um, it was one in a succession of ships that were notable as a collective group, but it didn't really stand out. And as, as a um, vessel, we might remember it today, if it hadn't sunk on its maiden voyage under, under quite exceptional circumstances, we just remember it as one in a succession of great liners in that period. I mean, the really revolutionary ships in many ways were the Cunard um, ships, the Lusitania and the Aquitania but um, Lusitania and the Mauritania, rather. But, um, you know, we, we see it out of context and I'm not denigrating the people for whom it is a very beloved ship and there are things to be said about the, the White Star liners. They had those wonderful raked funnels. They were very gracefully built. They had, you know, even the, even the way in which the bridge melted into the rest of um, it's the ratio, the isn't it, when you think of the fact it is. that it, they were 992 or something long, which is only 92 wide, they're very long and sleek, aren't they, which is what gives the yes, white they were, they were a lovely, They were a lovely class of vessels, but um, Titanic was by no means unique and um, certainly is far from being either, not even, and, and looking in terms of tragedy, certainly not even the worst maritime disaster of all time they've been, um, uh, war losses like uh, uh, the Wilhelm de Gross, uh, uh, the um, uh, sorry, the Wilhelm Gustav, and um, uh, you know the, the Sultana, the, the ship that was um, sunk in the wake of the American Civil War. And in terms of passenger liners, there is the Donna Cruz, a, um, a, a Filipino passenger ferry, which had many more dead. Um, so it's not even the greatest. Um, Sorry, that sounds like I'm belittling the loss of life. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's like it's, it's billed as the biggest tragedy ever to strike the shipping world at the mm-hmm. point it happened, and, and statistically it isn't. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It wasn't. It wasn't. The Titanic was trying to set a transatlantic crossing record. No. Do you know what I say to that? If she was, she would have been... Uh, to set the transatlantic crossing le- record and take the blue ribbon from the Mauritania, which had it at the time, you would need to sail in the region of 27 knots. 26, 27 knots, right? Titanic was, like, chugging along at 22. She didn't... They, then you get into the whole, should she have slowed down for the iceberg and that. For this purposes, it doesn't matter. If he was trying to break the speed record then he would have been going faster than 22 through the ice. So if he's going through 22 in the ice and he doesn't give a damn about hitting the ice, then he's not going anywhere near fast enough to break that record. So clearly he's not because he just put his foot down even more, wouldn't he? And do 25, 26. And there is, there's a difference between trying to break the speed record and this controversy about whether Smith was trying to surprise everybody by getting to, um, New York early, isn't it, Ing? Yeah, yeah. That one, that one goes on um, because it had happened before. Uh, they tended to try and avoid Tuesday night arrivals. Um, it, it was due on Wednesday. They yeah. tended to avoid Tuesday night arrivals, but it had happened. It wasn't unprecedented. Um, possibly trying to beat the, um, the Olympics maiden voyage time. And the Olympics maiden voyage time hadn't been particularly um you know outstandingly impressive it was more it was more a question not so much because the as you say the blue ribbon was never in contention for titanic Um, and she wasn't even built for it none of the olympic class yeah no not built white star line threw their hands up didn't they and said look we can't do them for speed so we're just going to do them for luxury they did the the economics but what was there was um however to maintain Table, and that was where the pressure comes in. Um, they were expected to make a very timely crossing, and this the Atlantic was a very hazardous route. You had um, not only you know fog, you also had uh, a lot of derelicts which are abandoned ships. Some of them were sinking or were floating almost at the waterline, and you can imagine, like today, you have shipping containers um, that have fallen overboard. In back then, you had some, you had what well, we still do today. You have vessels that have sunk to the waterline, and you can't see them; they're an almost invisible hazard. So you have that, you have fog, and you have icebergs. Um, and you have, obviously, heavy seas too. So against that, against the fact you're looking at a very hazardous route, you also have um, a lot of very high-powered businessmen and uh, people that expect to have a very timely turnaround. They expect to be able to get into, um, get into Southampton or get into New York according to a, a, a set timetable. And so there was a lot of pressure to adhere to that. If you say, if you advertised a sailing uh, a sailing passage, you adhered to it. Um, and there was a tremendous pressure on the officers and crews of these ships to stick to that. So there certainly was a time pressure, but it's not the time pressure of the competition. It's not. And also as well, um, I have never, ever 
been satisfied with the explanation that some millionaire can push Smith to do something that he doesn't believe is safe. This man is 60 years old. He is the best they have. He takes out every new ship White Star Line put out. He is trusted. He is experienced. He's dealt with many a belligerent millionaire billionaire whatever in his time and i fail to believe i don't know about you inga in the, the in the maiden voyage of the titanic which was just uh, he was on obviously major uh, maiden voyage of the olympic as well i just fail to believe on that voyage he suddenly bowed down and collapsed under the pressure of passengers to carry on going too fast through icebergs um i, I certainly don't necessarily think that Ismay, who was the um, person who was accused of having pressured Smith, um, would have had that power. I think these conversations did take place, but I, we, we know we have Elizabeth Lyons who said that um, there was some sort of conversation that took place between Ismay and Smith in which he was talking about beating the Olympics maiden voyage time. Um, whether that amounted to pressure or whether it was a conversation or a discussion, I just don't think we've got the information on. No. Um, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think in terms of either of them actually putting the pieces together and realising the danger, um, and, over, you know, uh, Ismay as, you know, the, the no longer the owner but um, certainly representative of um, the White Star Line, mm. um, whether he would have... I don't think he would have attempted to exert that power. He might have had subtly pressured um, Smith or not so subtly pressured Smith. I mean, there's, we, we get fragments. We get certain fragments from eyewitnesses. And, of course, the eyewitnesses themselves were interpreting what they had seen in light of the disaster too. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm open to the idea that there was some pressure, even if not avert, that was exerted on Smith, but um, certainly not in terms of overriding Smith's command. Yeah. What do you both think of telling the future? Oh, I know exactly where you're going with this. Inga can have this one. I don't want it. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's the disdain I have for this one. That's not a problem. I like a bit of fortune telling. She's the guest. I'm going to be humble and pass it to Ingo. <laughs> <laughs> so the loss of the Titanic was foretold by Morgan Robertson in a book titled Futility or The Wreck of the Titan. Love this one. This one goes, this one takes me back to childhood, you know, when you read those anthologies of spooky stories and, you know, psychic happen happenings and things like that. And, you get this comparison between um, The Wreck of the Titan and The Titanic Shipwreck. Uh, Wreck of the Titan was published in 1898, uh, republished in 1912, which is important. And the ship's name is The Titan. It, had, it was often presented with a chart, you know, the ship's name is The Titan. It was supposedly unsinkable. It, you know, it sailed in April. It hit an iceberg in the middle of the North Atlantic. It sunk with tremendous loss of life. Um, and spooky foretelling of the Titanic. Now, um, the author, uh, uh, Morgan, Morgan Robinson, yeah. Robert, yeah, Morgan Robinson, yeah. he never claimed that he had any psychic ability. 
Um, and in fact, you look at, it's interesting, you look at the 1912 edition that came out after the sinking of the Titanic and there were a few things that were tweaked to bring them more into line, like, for example, the tonnage of the ship. Um, but if you actually, and, you know, surface of it, it's, a, it's an eerie resemblance. But then we get into the differences. Um, the Titan um, had a paddle wheel. It was basically um, a projected... Um, larger version of the Great Eastern by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Um, and so what Morgan Robertson has done is he's taken existing shipbuilding trends, although by, of course, the 20th century we were largely getting rid of paddle wheels on North Atlantic liners. Um, but he'd taken, he'd taken that idea and he just extrapolated from it. Now, it was very well, any conditions on the, um, on the North Atlantic knew that there was a very real possibility of a large-scale accident happening. Um, in fact, Charles Hayes, who was a victim of the Titanic, who was on the ship, he himself had predicted that it was going to happen. He was a, he was a, a, a railroad uh, railway owner, and he had predicted that there was going to be a large-scale accident. Many other journalists, um, you know, W.T. Stead, who also died on the Titanic, they all knew that the way... as we discussed earlier um, the pressures on crews to continue to keep to very strict timetables in light of hazardous conditions almost made such an accident inevitable. Um, it's the law so, of averages as well, isn't it, Ing? Because yeah, um, there was, hadn't been an accident like this. So it's an accident waiting to happen. And, and the law of probability is telling you that, you, you know, the longer you go without one, that you're going to suffer one. And take the name Titan, Titan or Titanic. Um, that was a very popular name or adjective at the time. I've seen photos of people at a Titanic reunion and people have thought, oh, wow, you know, I found a bit of invaluable Titanic um, memorabilia. But you look at it and you realise their, their outfits are 10 years, date to 10 years earlier. People like to talk about Titanic events and ti it, was, it was a popular um, word at the time um and there had been titanic ships before there had been ships that bore the name titanic so titan which just means you know um, well it has those overtones of hubris when we go back to its greek mythological origins but it also just means large and impressive and so calling your ship titan or titanic is not that big a stretch um april is a hazardous shipping month it's when the ice comes down um the other scenes that really don't kind of match up with the events of uh, the real Titanic include, I think there were two survivors. There was the lookout and a girl on the ship and there's a fight with a polar bear, polar bear on an iceberg. So as much as we see similarities between the book and the events, there's an awful lot of things that did not happen. Um, that are depicted in um, Futility in the novel. So it's one you can really chalk up to coincidence, but also um, uh, Robertson was a man who knew about shipbuilding trends and he also knew he could project where they were going. So he could not psychically foresee it, but he made a, reason he made a series of reasonable guesses and some of them paid off. Yeah, and as well, as well, don't underestimate what a publisher will do to uh, jump on something to sell a book. I just look at this guy, uh, this supposed Dean Koontz book that foresaw coronavirus. No, it bloody did. And it's a god-awful book about some mad psychic woman that thinks her son is talking to her and she finds him in like a experimental lab and the guy mentions a virus in Wuhan. It's 
it's hardly connecting at all. And with this, it reminds me of, do you remember when JK Rowling started writing that terrible book series about that um, detective that had been a soldier? And I think it sold 1500 copies. And then suddenly someone leaked in inverted commas to the press that it was actually JK Rowling writing them. And suddenly it was a bestseller. Who at the publishing company do you think leaked the information there? It just, that's what the Morgan Robertson thing ties in um, with for me. I, I think that as well as the fact that it really isn't as close as people yeah. think it is. If you read, people that read the book, I think are a little bit surprised. They've been led to believe that it's this amazing foretelling of um, the Titanic sinking. And when they read the book and you get to the polar bear fights, they're going, well, actually, resemblance. <laughs> This, I fell for this shit with this Dean Kuntz book. And actually, you get all the way to like the 88th and the 89th percentage on your Kindle before anyone mentions a bloody virus. Oh, I was annoyed. Yeah, I was glad yeah. it only cost 99p because it's a terrible book. Don't buy it, people. <laughs> I was about to say the best 99p you've ever spent. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's <laughs> minted. He's, he's mega rich. He doesn't care that I don't like <laughs> his book, but it's terrible. Let's hope people don't go out and buy it. Right, last one, ladies. Lucky, I don't care one of you wants to take this, take it. But tell me, I don't even know why I'm asking this. I don't know what this is about an officer that committed suicide. Oh, right, okay. Just a background for listeners. This is the bit in the film where the Scottish guy shoots himself in the head. For the record, James Cameron had to pay compensation to said Scottish guy's family <laughs> after the film came out. I heard, Ing, that it was 1,500 quid. He didn't. He, didn't, he, he didn't gave have them 50, to do it. But he gave he... them, in a film that grossed $2 billion, he gave them £1,500 to go away. But what? he well, did not he... make this up. He didn't make it up, did he, Inga? He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. It was that um, this is one of the this again, we can't we can't definitively say whether this is fact or fiction. There are certainly contemporaneous accounts from the Titanic um, that indicate that an officer committed suicide. But the problem is um, a lot of these come from people that were in note. When you when you start to examine it, you look at it. Um, I have a, 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 a good mate, Bill Warmstead, who has a wonderful site where he's collected all the accounts that he can possibly find um, that suggest an officer shot himself. Um, whenever I find a new one, I send it on to him. Um, and when you look at them, you realise that a lot of them are from people that were well away in lifeboats or they're unnamed sources or they're... So it's very, you know, it's very dubious. There are, we'll however... Take with clothes. You don't know that there are outfits being worn by other crew members that could easily yeah. be construed by a novice slash passenger as being a ship's officer when they're not. That's one thing, isn't it? Well, we know that uh, we do know that um, guns were fired. Um, we know that Harold Lowe fired a gun in the um, afterport water when they were launching um, fourteen and boat fourteen, which he left in. Which he does um, in the all, film as well. He, he faithfully recreates Which he does that. in the film. Yep. And we also know that when they were getting to the, getting to the very last of the, um, last of the boats, the collapsibles, we know that there was, even though Lightoller, who was the senior surviving officer, gave contradictory accounts, we know that guns were fired. We also know that guns were issued to the senior officers, um, uh, Wibbly revolvers. Um, we know they were fired, but, of course, when you get to the confusion at the end, we don't know whether, number one, anyone stood in the way of those last bullets. 
and number two, whether an officer turned a gun on himself. We have two accounts of named people who were in the right place and who did repeat their claim that an officer shot himself. Unfortunately, even those don't necessarily match up. For example, one of them, you have him seeing an officer shoot himself and then he, he goes off, he goes below, he does a few other things, then he comes back and he, he, leaves, the, you know, he leaves the ship and is picked up. Um, the only problem with all of that is that you wouldn't have time to do what he does in the sequence he describes after an officer shoots himself. It's very hard to prove a negative. You have Gracie, um, who was in, who was there at the launch of the last collapsible boats and who escaped on the overturned boat um, B, and he vows that he, an officer didn't kill himself. Um, but in the confusion of what was happening there, um, again, we talked earlier about how unreliable eyewitness accounts are. We can't say for sure that no one, no one did. Um, it's, it's one that I go back and forth on, and particularly if an officer did shoot himself, which officer was it? Um, I, I would find it more likely if they had successfully launched all the lifeboats but as it was, the last time we see Moody and um, the sixth officer and Murdoch, who was the, um, uh, the first officer, the last time we see them in any confirmed reliable accounts, they were struggling to launch the last of the lifeboats. Wild, we don't know where he was. We, hadn't, we, we lose sight of him. Uh, but having said that, to tell me that Murdoch shot himself in the middle of doing his duty, a man with 30 years experience at sea, who knows what trauma does to people, but I just, I mm. never bought it personally. My gut feeling. Cut. I don't know what your gut is. I don't, um, um, I, I waver a lot. Um, just because as I said, I, I think we, we know there was gunplay there. Um, you know, Possibly an officer who was driven to shoot down passengers who were charging the lifeboats might have turned a gun on himself. This is the kind of scenario we're looking at. But we, we have such confused and garbled accounts. And then once they get on the California, there's a lot of cross-pollination. Shipboard gossip is horrific at the best of times, but in the wake of the time... And then, you know, you get the, the... When they get to New York, you've got tabloids seeking, you know, accounts. Originally, people were saying that it was Captain Smith who'd shot himself. Sorry, just uh, Carpathia, not Californian. Well, just that, that was a oh, slip Sorry, Carpathia. <laughs> Inga knows this I'll before be all of the crazies way. start roasting her. It's very early in the I'll morning in Australia and she knows. Okay? I Thank do, you. I do know. She does. Tongue <laughs> <laughs> um, slip. Yeah, and um, no, but yeah, um, you're Rostron, right. who was the captain of the of the Carpathia, um, Rostron actually four went, days, haven't they? Four days to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and people themselves. are talking, and yeah. and um, it became so prevalent that Rostron actually issued a statement before he sailed again after um, having given his testimony in America. Before he sailed again, he made a very specific statement to the press saying, "Look, I wish you'd watch these stories that Smith." Um, committed suicide and, you know, I spoke to several crewmen who said he made it to one of the boats but didn't have the strength to hold on. And um, so, you know, you had these, originally the story was sort of Smith and then it mutated and the problem is there's a confusion between the ranks of the chief and the first officer. So uh, because there had been a last-minute reshuffle of the officers before they sailed from Southampton. So you get 
people talking about a chief officer or a first officer and we can't be entirely sure they even know who they're talking about. So, mm. look, I'm, I'm open on it. I'm slightly inclined to know because, as I said, I just feel that it would be more likely to have happened if all the lifeboats had been launched um, but they were still working on them. But I'm not going to rule it out. Alina, are you sold on any of this? Yeah, kind of makes a little bit of sense. I'm a little bit gutted about the necklace and the film and Jack and and, and Alice. No, wait, what's her name? Jack and... Rose. I don't know. Rose. That's the one, Rose. Anyway, I've really got to rewatch this film because I can't remember anything. But you guys made <laughs> some really good points, except a couple of things I didn't get, like knots and boat stuff. Sorry, ship stuff. <laughs> but otherwise, it's good. It's All good. right, as your I, reward... I, yeah. As your reward, oh, yeah. there was a what mad woman somewhere in America um, who thought that because she didn't like sitting in a bath full of cold water, who does, um, that she was automatically, she went, well, I don't like cold water, um, it makes me feel uncomfortable, therefore I believe that I am third class passenger Rosa Rabbit of the Titanic. And she, I mean, when I say that she didn't just say that once, she plugged it to death in the worst possible carnation of the English language you can ever imagine. She was, she was one of the ones you actually thought, well, this, there actually needs to be some medical attention here. But there was also, we had Bruce's May, didn't we? That one, she used to have Oh yeah, Bruce's May, who had incredibly detailed, I used to love it, you had incredibly detailed accounts of conversations that took place on Titanic. Anything you couldn't prove, but the moment you asked them, so, you know, light holder. So, Lytola, can you name any of the vessels you served in during your years on the East African run with the Elder Dempster line, like just one ship, one ship? Not a ship. But they could recall <laughs> in great detail conversations they'd had with Bruce Ismay. I like the one that, um, that thought they were Bruce Ismay. Um, and you'll remember, Alina, that Brian Hawley was on when Inga was down the pub with us and we were talking about how you can go on the Queen Mary. Um, she used yeah. to randomly start clinging to items of furniture on the Queen Mary, which, of course, postdates the Titanic by quite a long time, um, oh and start having flashbacks. Oh, God. Well, Alina's face right now is a picture. <laughs> no one is ever going to top. I have a friend who swears this is true. I shan't name, I won't name who he is, but he is a very respected Titanic researcher who vows that he once met someone at a Titanic convention who swore up and down that they were the reincarnation of the Titanic's left anchor. <laughs> Describe in visceral detail the shock of the cold water that night. And as everyone pointed out, you'd think an anchor would be used to getting plunged into cold water. Well, it had been in it for six days, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we've always said, haven't we, Inga, that the best book you could write, the best hook you could write on the Titanic is uh, the life stories of all the bad reincarnation people, but uh, none, none of us are touching that with a 10-foot pole, are we? No, no. <laughs> we'll just stick to actual research, Lena. This is some absolutely crazy people. But anyway, thank you very much, Inga, and our lovely Alex for talking about the Titanic and spelling some of those crazy, incredibly crazy myths. Oh, no, it's been great. Had a fantastic time. Yeah. I think, hopefully, I, I think uh, if you have any complaints, direct them towards Luke Daly Groves <laughs> because he loves playing with crazy people on Twitter. Um, and we don't. 
Join us tomorrow when we will be talking to the amazing Kat Jarman and Tom Horn about Vikings. We're going to be talking about all the ways in which new archaeology um, and research is helping to blow this field wide open. Um, and thus, we will be talking about things you didn't know about the Vikings. Uh, it was not all war and plunder and violence apparently. Um, so join us for that. Uh, thank you very much to the first of our patrons. Uh, thank you Allegra Jordan and Matilde and Vincent and David Evans, Jonathan Saunders, Linda Farhi and Sam Fisher all for supporting us um, and helping to ensure that we can hopefully keep this podcast going after corona lockdown uh, we still need your questions for the chosen men uh, sharp part two of our reunion is coming up um, anything you want to know uh, from jason sulky uh, lyndon davies and john tams and the rest of the guys please do let us know because uh, we will be recording with them very soon we're also still looking for your questions for our band of brothers reunion okay so we have one show with the easy kids that's the descendants of the people that fought um, and were immortalized in Band of Brothers. We have a show with the cast of Band of Brothers. We've announced a dozen actors already and there's still more exciting news to come on that front. And we will also be holding a, a, his, a history-based show based on uh, the events that made the story um, and what actually happened. And we're thrilled that we're going to have James Holland with us for that one. And we're going to have Peter Caddick Adams and Paul Woodage. So any questions you've got about the actual events that transpired around the 506 and easy company do let us know until then stay safe if you possibly can stay at home this is nighthawk signing off even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.